Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. Yom Ha'atzmaut is Israel's Independence Day. April 25, 2023 will mark 75 years since Israel's independence in 1948. Israel's national rebirth after World War II is a testament to God's faithfulness to bring His people back to the land He promised them. To commemorate this historical milestone, we have invited a special guest, Pat Boone, to discuss a significant song he wrote in the 1960s, the Exodus Song. Pat Boone is a singer, actor, television host, producer, radio personality, and more. Boone is the number 10 all-time top recording artist, according to Billboard. Today, he is the national spokesman for the 60 Plus Association and has two radio shows. Pat and Shirley Foley Boone were married for more than 65 years when she went to be with the Lord in 2019, and they have four children together. In this episode, we are changing it up a little. We have Dr. Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries, here to have a chat with his friend, Pat Boone. Shalom, friends. My name is Mitch Glazer, and I'm president of Chosen People Ministries. And I have the great privilege of introducing you to someone who has become a friend of mine over the years, a fellow brother in the Messiah. His name is Pat Boone. And many of you have heard of him, and I did too, and was a little uh, intimidated uh, meeting him in person because I've heard of him for years, and he is by far one of the most down-to-earth, spirit-filled believers in Yeshua that I've ever met, and uh, he has more passion and love for Jewish people than I do, and I'm Jewish. And I'll tell you, uh, (laughs) it's impressive. And uh, so... Pat, the name of this uh, podcast is Our Hope. And so, of course, you know that Jewish national anthem is Hatikva, means the hope. And uh, so this is a yes, hopeful, yes. hopeful broadcast. And so I'll ask you a few questions, of course. And then uh, I know that our listening audience really wants to hear you and hear your heart and how you feel about what we're talking about. But I, I think I'll begin by just uh, talking about one very personal reason why our friendship means so much to me. Because about 48 years ago, uh, you sponsored a Chosen People Ministry event at your home, although probably you loaned your home. And, uh, And it so happened that I was attending that event, and I met this beautiful, beautiful 18 year old Jewish girl originally from Argentina, but living in LA and actually a freshman at U- USC. And Pat, it was love at first sight. And uh, I couldn't wait, oh. much, couldn't wait much more than a year because I was afraid that she would wise up and figure out that there were better options, you know? And so, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> so I ended up marrying Zahava and, uh, we're working on our 48th year 
of marriage. And Pat, we have your home uh, as as the as the place where we met. So I don't know if you think of your home as a the height of romanticism, you know, or or anything. But but uh, we're so glad that you that you did that and that you supported Jewish ministry and and uh, so we're grateful to you for that. You would have no me no way of knowing what that means to me, but long before you and I met and Shirley and I moved into this house in 1960. Wow. This is where I am right now. So we've been in this house 60, what, 67, 68 years, uh, being Christians and knowing that we were gonna have a very daunting task of raising four girls in the middle of Hollywood, California, Beverly Hills. And I was in the movie business and fully involved in the entertainment business, but we determined we were gonna live by what we called, or I called Tennessee standards. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, we're gonna live like we're still living in Tennessee. We're not gonna be governed by the mores and the customs of just this place called Hollywood. Mm. Gonna live as if we were in Tennessee. And that meant being a member of a regular church and being at church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, prayer meeting, Wednesday nights. And we continued that our whole lives living in this house. But more than that, before you and I met, we uh, we already knew of our Jewish heritage. And we we had uh, several ministers come and believe in Christians and went around the whole property as 1.2 acres here in Beverly Hills of flat land, we had no idea what, how valuable it was gonna become. And our house, and then come into the house and go to every door and window and pray over every entrance and exit that the Holy Spirit would reside in this house. Mm. And because Jesus had said that where I am, I will be with you. Well, we wanted to invite his presence into this house. And over the years, starting from way back then, and, and as you just recounted, people would come into this house, whether it was for a Christian meeting or just, just a visit. They would say, hmm, you know, there's something about this place. I just feel different in here. There's something different about this house. Well, we didn't always tell them what we knew it was, but it was the very presence, the invited presence of the Holy Spirit, the Ruach Kadesh. And... Um, and 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 so when you came in here, I'm sure it was not an accident that you met your wife to be. <laughs> it was just God working, and He was working right here in this place where He still is right now as we talk. Well, I'll be forever grateful that you opened your home for the Lord's work and for Jewish people, Pat. And, I... and we've had over 300 baptisms here, by the way. That, I mean, what's that was a busy is... pool, huh? Yes, and heated. <laughs> and it was needed for that purpose. For that oh, purpose, man. so many wonderful baptisms. I baptized Jerry Lucas once. The six foot how nine. Many, or, how many people did that take to to bury? It, it took me to in stages. It took. <laughs> I did it. But I said I'm going to baptize you, Jerry, and he's way up here. Did you need a step ladder? <laughs> no, I just lowered him as you know slowly in stages. I, I lowered. I lowered the head and shoulders and then went down a little more and a little more till he was fully submerged and then had to come bring him back up in stages. But, uh, but of course, uh, I didn't have to do it exactly like that. Now, Pat, I know that you want to talk about Jesus more than yourself. I do know that. But tell me, um, 
When I was in your office a little while ago, you handed me a copy and actually sent me another copy, which I'm so grateful for. Now I can give one away of the book, If. Yeah. And uh, what's that about and why did you write it? Oh, thank you for even bringing it up. So now this last book, I've written other books that were considered Christian books, uh, and they've been bestsellers, million sellers. But now this last book is for non-believers. In fact, on the cover, as you see, I say specifically, this is not religious. There's a warning sign. It's not religious, life or death. It has to do with life and death, but it's not, quote, religious. It's not some somebody's idea of religion. It's it's God, God and you together. And the choices, I say, the eternal choice we all must make is the subtitle. And every one of us, including atheists and non-believers and criminals and demoniacs, we're all making our own choices because God gave us the right, the willing, the to, the will to make our own choices. He created us that way, but in the hope that we would will and want to do his will so that we could become true children of his. But many, unfortunately, don't even know about that. And according to Barna, the pollsters, and, uh, and Gallup and the others, less than half of Americans today ever go to a shul or a temple or a church. Right. They don't worship. They, they may pray sometimes, but don't know if anybody's hearing. They don't know if there is a God. They don't read the Bible. They're spiritually ignorant. And I'm not saying that pejoratively. It's just they simply don't know, and I'm not sure they should know. Right. And so I'm writing it to the non-believer who needs to understand, if he can possibly believe me, that he or she is making the choice for eternity right now while they live. And they're making the choice every day. And they just need to know it so that they can make conscious choices, well-informed choices about where they're going to spend eternity. When these bodies wear out and are put in the ground or whatever, uh, their spirit lives on. And they're going to spend eternity in one of two places, either in the very presence of God as part of his forever family, or in another place created for the devil and his angels called hell. Those are the only two places where people will spend eternity. But nobody wants, too many people don't want to hear about it. They don't, they, they think if they don't hear about it, maybe it's not true. It's, it's written in a very winsome way. I wouldn't hesitate to give this to a, a Jewish non-believer. And if you're not yet a believer, if you just write to me at Chosen People Ministries, chosenpeople.com, it'll get to me. I'll send you a free copy of Pat's book. And so that's, 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 that's the offer. And um, Pat, where can, can people order that on Amazon and, or any place? Yep. And it's We've sold out on Amazon a couple of times, and I, I assume and hope that they're restocking. <laughs> because so I think it, it, um, you know, we haven't had any, you know, expensive ways to promote it. I did go on uh, Jim Baker's show uh, on uh, one of the Christian channels. And he and his wife, they had just read the manuscript and they couldn't quit saying, this is the best book we have ever read. And they read six or eight books a week. The wow. best book, because it's conversational, it's not, quote, religious sounding. It is, it's, it's not meant to be literary. It's meant to be like a conversation with the, with the reader, one who presumably 
doesn't know much about the Bible, not sure he or she wants to know about the Bible. But first, I have to prove three things, and I think I do. One is God exists. There is a God. Yeah. And I quote some very uh, big scientists like Stephen Hawking and uh, Einstein and Rob, uh, uh, Charles Darwin, the father of evolution, all of whom said, in quotes, they don't want to say God, but they say there is an intelligence in the cosmos beyond our comprehension. There is a designer uh, because they can't be a design, this perfect design, everything operating perfectly out of chaos with no plan, no design. So it's not scientific for these eminent scientists like Hawking and Einstein and even Darwin to say that this all just happened and just evolved into something that operates so perfectly that we can set our time uh, by by the cosmos right and, uh, and know this and we can send somebody to another planet and bring them back because everything operates so perfectly and, and once we understand it so predictably but that did not happen accidentally so even these eminent scientists confess there is an intelligence there's a vision there's a vision there's a there's a um a spirit abroad in the universe, and they cannot pronounce a three-letter word, G-O-D. <laughs> they don't want to say God because they know that with the recognition of the existence of a creator God, intelligent recognition of that, that there's probably supposed to be some relationship with the one who created us for his own purposes. It brings a sense of responsibility. And then the other thing is that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and it proves itself, and it's in the uh, in the way it's written, how it was written, by whom it was written, and I give the reasons that it, it can't be anything but the divine inspired word of God. And thirdly, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one who came to be our Savior, because both the Bible and God himself and Jesus himself all testify to that incontrovertibly. And there's never been uh, a Messiah until Jesus came, and there's never going to be another. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the truth is always profound, Pat, and, yeah. and people can make it very complicated. And I'm glad that you brought in some of these folks who make things very complicated and cut, yeah, the, they cut do. to the chase, that it's all about a relationship with a living God. Yeah, it is. It's not religion, it's relationship, which is the reason God, what's, that's what God wanted, was a forever family. And he tried and tried and tried with the Jewish people. But as we know from Israel's own history, that it, Moses himself called them a stubborn and stiff-necked people. And his own brother, the high priest Aaron, Moses went up on the Mount, Mount Sinai to get the commands from God, the Ten Commandments. He was gone 40 days, and when he came back, the people of Israel were already worshiping a made-up golden calf, yeah. and it only took 40 days, uh, and, and unfortunately, it's because it's in human nature, which is fed by a supernatural force called Satan. Now, if we, if we believe in God, we have to also believe in Satan, because God is very specific. There's the other side. And, uh, and he will as he did from the very beginning, tempt us through our pride, our self-interest, our, our fleshly appetites, whatever, tempt us to do things that are contrary 
to what God wants for us for, for our best interest and as his own children representing him. And, and until he gets what he wants from his children, there will always be consequences for disobedience. Right. So, P Pat, um, maybe just a few of the reasons for our, our listeners, because many people uh, regard you as a role model and somebody that, uh, uh, particularly those who know that you're a believer, and that's many, um, they, they want to know, um, because of your reputation and so on, mm -hmm. uh, why? Why do you love the Jewish people? I mean, what what is this with you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm asked that a lot by Jewish people in particular, but also by some that are not, who 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 simply don't understand God's purposes for creating the Jewish people to begin with, and that's the whole story of what we call the Old Testament. Let me just preface the answer by what I started to uh, refer to a moment ago, that King James who who early what in the whatever century it was several centuries ago caused the scriptures to be translated from original hebrew aramaic and greek into king james english and for some reason separated what we call the old testament the prophets the torah uh genesis and and um and and all the history of the people of israel into what they call the old testament and then uh, starting with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what we call the New Testament, the story of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, the New Testament. And in so doing, they relegated the Old Testament to being the Jewish Bible and the New Testament to being the Christian or Gentile portion of the Bible. And the Jews feel, well, they, we don't need to know anything about the Gentile Christian part. And the Christians don't think they need to know anything about the Jewish part, which is yeah. the bigger part of the Bible, which sets the stage and is the foundation for everything that happens in what we call the New Testament. If it had all been just one continuous book, which by fact is all written by Jews from from the book of Reve from Genesis to Revelation, all written by Jews for Jews about Jews, all taking place in little Israel in the Middle East from whom would come a savior, a Jew, to be the savior of the world for Gentiles and non-Jews alike, but primarily in the beginning, the Jew first, and also the Greek or the Gentile, but all one succession of Jewish history, which is the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's all Jewish, and everything I believe and as I've said, when I spoke to a group of rabbis in the Hot Springs, Arkansas, once I was invited to come to a convention of Jewish rabbis. And I said, I'm here representing the fourth branch of Judaism. <laughs> and they they looked at each other like, what? I'm I know there's, there's the Orthodox, Conservative, and Reformed. I represent the Messianic branch of Judaism. There you go. Everything I believe comes whole cloth out of the same things you believe and into the messianic beliefs of the new testament in which jesus is shown fulfilling all of the prophecies concerning the messiah that he would be sinless that he would be a king he would be but other prophecies in isaiah he would also be a suffering servant sure. 
he would be wounded for our transgressions. These are prophets. Even Moses said, there's going to come one after me like I am, and you're to hear him do everything that he says. Moses said, well, whoever came after him, not Joshua, who was wonderful, but he was certainly not Moses. But Moses said, there's another one going to come. Isaiah was referring to that one, and Jewish scholars know that when he was talking about and, and other the what we call Old Testament prophecies are about the coming Messiah. So if we had kept uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, Zephaniah, Zephariah, and all of those right up to and then into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, yes, there was a 300-year lapse, but for, for God, that's only three days. You know, I <laughs> a think, thousand I, years is but a day. I think Matthew knew it. Pat, because he said in verse one of Matthew, Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then gives yes. his Jewish genealogy. Yes. I think, you know, in seminaries and uh, Bibles and, he, and seminaries, he, he all the, I mean, you have Old and New Testament so divided, started, you know, and uh, I think you're yes. making a really important point for our folks to hear that the continuity yes. is really important. And one of the roadblocks with me yeah. as a Jewish person was I thought that the New Testament was something other than a Jewish book, that it was actually an inspiration yeah, for anti-Semitism. Right. But that's not true. Millions do. Millions do. Yeah. And millions of Christians think. I, you asked now about me. I grew up in a, a family. My dad, a building contractor and, a, and an architect, very practical. Mama, a registered nurse, very practical. Well, part of our practical upbringing was church and we were in church sunday morning sunday night wednesday nights but also we would have bible devotionals in our home and when i was growing up you know as an 8 9 10 11 12 year old i was learning that that so much of what we believed was jewish it was it was in the old testament and we we knew about abraham we knew about david and goliath you had, you we knew had about, great parents pat <laughs> Yes, really wonderful parents, and it was all practical. And uh, and then when I was uh, 12, almost 13, I walked down an aisle and, and uh, professed my belief in Jesus and asked to be saved and baptized, and it had an effect on me. Uh, on I was not a bad kid. I, I can't think back to any particular sins, maybe, maybe pranks, but not <laughs> outright sins that I did, I was a normal child, but but when I was baptized, I came out of the water knowing I was obeying God and the Bible. I had a sense about myself that I was a child, <laughs> excuse me, no, it's okay. a child of the living God. Yeah. At 13, I was a child of the living God. I carried that through my teen years and right into marriage at 19 and then into my whole career. And that had such an influence on a 13-year-old kid, but it came out of what I was learning about what came before, and it all was Jewish. And, um, and so my dad teaching Sunday school class himself, he'd get up. One of the reasons we had devotionals is that he would incorporate that into his study for the Sunday school class he was going to teach. And he would teach a 30-minute Sunday school class to young adults, uh, having spent six mornings and, and at least 30 minutes to an hour study for that 30 minutes he was going to teach. Yeah. And, and all of it 
was incorporating the Jewish history as well as what we call the New Testament or Christian history, which came whole cloth totally out of, of what we call the Old Testament. And, uh, and so I grew up with that sense of Jewishness as well as being saved by the Jewish Messiah mm. and a God who created his chosen people for his purposes and that I was now a member of his chosen family. Mm. So I've always felt that. There was a lady when I was on the Arthur Godfrey show, uh, it's still, well, I was barely out of my teens. I was in college at Columbia and, and appearing uh, in the mornings on the Arthur Godfrey show. And he took his show, uh, which was the biggest thing on TV at the time, the Arthur Godfrey show to uh, a hotel. He, he partly owned the Kenilworth Hotel in Miami. And we're out on the, I'm on the beach after the show and I'm getting some sun and, and uh, lying on the beach. And I, and I feel something come between me and the sun. And, and I look up, there's a shadow over me and I'm shielding my eyes. And there's a, a Jewish lady, as it turns out, standing between me and the sun. And she says, are you Pat Bloom? I said, <laughs> yes. She said, uh, are you descended from Daniel Bloom? And I said, well, I guess she meant Boone. And I said, yes. She said, we're, we're kinsmen. I think she used the word Lansman. Lansman. Uh, we're kinsmen. And I said, we are. She said, yes, you're descended from Daniel Bloom. But so am I. And, and, and I shook her hand and she went away. And I thought, she thinks the pioneer was Daniel Bloom. <laughs> and then I am Pat Bloom. Great, but I was the thrilled great Jewish pioneer. That. <laughs> Pat, that is a very funny Daniel story. Bloom. That is very funny. Um, but I, I welcomed that. I, I cherished it that she felt kin to me because I felt kin to her. Yeah, of course. And, and we are. Made it. We are that we 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 Jews and Christians are worshiping the same God, and Passover is uh, is the is the the moment in which Jesus, having lived a sinless life, and healed people from the dead and and from sicknesses and cast out demons and all these things, had Passover with his disciples, and when he broke the bread or pass the bread to them. He said, I want you to eat this. This is my body. We, it's, it's not just bread now. It's body. It's my body that I, it's broken for you. And then he took the wine in the cup and passed it. I want you all to drink this. This is my blood of the new covenant that I'm making with you. I, speaking for his father, God, Abba, that we talked to at the beginning of, in your prayer, Abba, Daddy, and, and that this is a new covenant, and I am the Passover lamb offering my sinless blood and my body to be the forgiveness of your sin and to be the instrument of your salvation in this new covenant we make with you. And you know, less that by the end of that century, there was no more altar. There was no more temple. There right. was no way for the Jewish people right. to literally obey the law of Moses. They still do today in, in, uh, in. We, we, we wail at the wall, Pat, because it's not there. The temple's yeah, gone. Yeah, we go through the motions of symbolically obeying, but not literally obeying because that literal obedience was, was embodied in the literally sinless Messiah who came. And by the way, you mentioned Matthew. Luke 
mentions the genealogy of Jesus, the gospel of Luke right in the beginning, all the way back to Adam, naming the fathers, the fathers, the fathers, right. all the way back through Methuselah and all the way back to Cain and Abel, Adam. And Jesus goes, the genealogy all the way back. I mean, why was that? It was so that we know that he, this was God working in his own person, but in the physical manifestation of God. I love what Bill Maher found out when he went to, uh, to the, the uh, oh, models of Israel that they have at, at Disney World. It's not part of Disney World, but TBN built a, a, a sort of a modern Israel replicas. Holy Land. Holy Land. Yeah. And, yeah. and they do the uh, abbreviated version of the Passion Play. And this guy plays Jesus in these the, every day when they do the Passion Play. And so Bill Maher was asking this guy who plays Jesus, wonderful with a beard and long hair and looking like we picture Jesus. And he says, uh, you know, I'm part Jewish. I'm Jewish. And, and my mother was, uh, I think my dad was a Jewish, my mom a Christian, Catholic. And so if his mom was not Jewish, then, uh, then, then I think he couldn't, he couldn't, was not typically he would, not, Jewish, be but he he would not be technically rabbinically Jewish, right? Pat, I have a question. When was your first trip to Israel? Wow, that's a good question, but it goes back to the I tell you, if you can date, uh, it was in the 60s, I guess, when uh, Israel was under serious attack, and they there were bombs and planes strafing, and even the uh, Ben-Gurion airport, port, when we arrived the first time, Shirley and the girls and I went, there were still the, the bullet holes wow. in in the wall hall. And the, From the 67 yeah. war? Probably. 67 war. Yeah. That, was 60, that was when wow. we went. We chose that time with the bullet holes still in the walls and with the soldiers standing as we were filming a, a Christmas special called Christmas in Bethlehem, Shirley, the girls and I, and we went to the various uh, places that, uh, wow. you know, the Garden of Eden and uh, not the Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane and, and a place uh, in Shepherd's Field where the, uh, the angels sure. heard, uh, sang and the shepherds heard the angels singing and close to Bethlehem. We, we filmed in those locations and we had to have Jewish uh, soldiers with their Uzi swung over their shoulders <laughs> while we were, while we were filming and, and doing the music and we did a whole Christmas special then. Well, we also, at that time, uh, Shirley, the girls and I went into that, uh, that garden of Gethsemane and that hole in, in the wall where Jesus was buried. It was the uh, Joseph of Arimathea's unused grave. Garden tomb. Garden tomb. We went in there. It was a cold, cloudy day. And toward in late afternoon, it was starting to get dark. And just Shirley and my four daughters and I, we were sitting there looking at this stone slab on where the body of Jesus had lain. And, uh, and picturing him in our minds and talking about him lying there in the uh, what became known as the shroud wrapped in linen, linen, linen fabrics and lying there stone cold. And then something happens and there's a stirring. And we see Jesus in our minds sit up on that slab and shed the lemon, the, the linen fabrics and get up 
and walk out. Of, but we noticed that as he was walking out, he had to bend over to go in as yeah, we'd had. It's kind of short. <laughs> and we had to bow going in and out. Yeah. And I thought it was appropriate. But as we pictured him leaving, all of a sudden we all felt this, wait a minute, he's leaving and we're still in the tomb. And we had this sudden sense, this was where we were all going to be. We were all going to be in some kind of a tomb or a burial place because that's just what happens to all of us. And here he's walking up out and leaving. And we wanted to say, wait, wait for us. And, and, and as we looked out, we visualized Jesus from the back walking away, but then turning as if he was hearing us looking back and extending his hand and say, come out. Yeah. Come out with me. Pat, Come there's, out of me. There's, not, there's nothing like walking where Jesus walked in order to even feel closer to him. I think one of the most meaningful uh, things you've, you've done in your career, at least it's so meaningful to, to me and to so many Jewish people, is that you were the person that was able, to, with, with a pen, to express the sentiments of thousands mm. of years of Jewish people yeah. who were just in tears of joy because Israel had come back uh, to the land. And yet God yeah. chose, I believe, a, a, a Gentile who has a spiritual Jewish heritage mm -hmm. to write the lyrics that no Jewish person was able to write. God used yeah. you to write it. And yes. And so could you tell us how that happened? How I the sure lyrics, will. how you wrote the lyrics to the incredible song Exodus, which I believe is a second national anthem for the nation of Israel. It is considered to be the second Jewish national anthem. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. I, uh, you know, feeling thoroughly Jewish anyway, I saw the movie Exodus with Paul Newman and Eva Marie Saint. And, uh, and, 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 Love that film. And then I heard that instrumental written by Ernest Gold. And it just thrilled me. You know, it was becoming uh, an international hit, just an instrumental, the Ferrati Teicher piano duo instrumental version. And I wanted to sing that song. I figured there must be words. So my manager, himself a publisher, contacted uh, Chapel Music that published the, the melody. What, what are the words? They said there aren't any words and they're not going to be any words. Why? Well, we've had several uh, professional writers submit lyrics, but uh, we have three people opinionated and have a right to veto whatever the words might be presented. Ernest Gold, the composer of the music, Chapel Music, the publisher that own it, and Otto Preminger, the uh, director, producer of the film. And even though Jewish writers had submitted their their words, trying to make them the words of that melody, one or another of these people, uh, and in fact, uh, I don't, I, Otto Preminger was not Jewish, but the other two were, mm. the publisher and composer, Ernest Gold. They were saying, no, those aren't the words. It was too complicated to try to put 6,000 or 2,000 years of history into a short, fairly short melody. And they were, it was becoming too complicated and it just too difficult. And so we said, which is going to remain an instrumental melody. And I couldn't accept it. So it was the Christmas Eve in 59. Hmm. 
And uh, and I was, Shirley was saying, Pat, please quit playing that melody, that record, and come help me get to presence under the trees so we can go to sleep and get up. It's just going to be a few hours till the kids wake us up. I said, honey, let me play it one more time. I'm trying to get an idea to submit to one of those writers. So I put the needle on the record, boom, 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 boom. And the words came, this land is mine. This land is mine. And I got goosebumps and then I put the needle down, dum, bum, 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 bum. Other words, God gave this land to me, individual, personal, not the whole group, not thousands, millions of people, one person. And I grabbed something to start writing the words down because I didn't want to forget them. And in 20 minutes, I had written the, all the lyric, just like taking dictation. God gave this land to me. And when the morning sun reveals her morning, when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains, I see a land where children can run free. So take my hand and walk this land with me, though I'm just a man when you're by my side. With the help of God, I know I can be strong to make this land our home. If I must fight, I'll fight to make this land our home, uh, our own. This land is mine. And um, until I die, this land is mine, a personal declaration. And I, I was crying. And uh, by the time I finished writing those words and wrote it down, of course, and I turned over what I was writing it on, it was a Christmas card. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I was thinking as he was saying this. If my family knew that a Gentile Christian had written the words, I don't know if they would have played it on their record player at the time. But I grew up with it, you know. Right, and and you know the the thing. The here's what happened. Shia Ben Yehuda, who was uh, one of the main principals at at Yad Vashem, the um, of course the museum of the of the Holocaust. And I'd been there through it, and it was it's heart rending and soul rending, and everybody should go through it once, but you'll never want to go through it twice. Mm. And so I was there with a tour, Shirley and I. When Shia Ben Yehuda walked up, we were not going through it. He, we were waiting for the tour group to come through, and with tears in his eyes, this great big man said, "You don't know what this song you wrote means to us here at Yad Vashem." And I said, "Shia, I believe I do, because." I identify so totally with you and I know the whole history of the people of Israel. And, and he said, well, you must've written those words on something. Uh, if you would be willing to consider it either now or when you pass, would you let us have whatever you wrote those words on? Oh, we wow. want to, we want to put them on the wall of the righteous Gentile along with Oscar Schindler and Corey Ten Boom and others. Wow. Christians who were so supportive of Israel, in some cases, gave their lives. And we'd like to put your words on the wall of the righteous Gentile. Mm. And I said, well, I would give it to you now, Shia. And I did. But I need to let you know, I wrote them on the back of a Christmas card. <laughs> this is... And he said, so much the better. <laughs> he said, because we know you evangelical Christians are our strongest supporters. Uh, listen to that. And so I did come back later on a tour with Mike Huckabee, and we went in and with the Jewish army represented the government all at Yad Vashem, we had a, a, a videotaped presentation in which I had it framed that Christmas card, and it's now shown on the wall of the righteous Gentile 
the, the words of the second Jewish national anthem written by that that Gentile Christian hick from Nashville. <laughs> you, you know, Pat, when I was growing up in New York City, in a very, very Jewish home, unfortunately, uh, I had many relatives who died in the Holocaust, and we blame the Holocaust on Christians. Yeah. And that's sad because yeah, it it's very sad, as you know. But to know that through you and through what you wrote, through a Christmas card, now that I know this part yeah. of it, it's awesome, that Jesus is present at Yad Vashem. Yes. Because, yes, he is. Because... Brooding over his own people. And if we, if he had been alive in Europe, he would have not have been a persecutor. He would have died. And because he's Jewish. And oh, so, of course. Of course. Pat, th thank you so much for your love for Israel and the Jewish people and for being used by God, not only to help me get find a wife, you know, Pat, but, <laughs> but, but really for all that you've done and the support you've given to Jewish people like myself and chosen people ministry to those who are concerned about uh, bringing the good news to Jewish people. And, you know, we're celebrating Yom Ha'atzma'ut, which is mm -hmm. Israel Independence Day. And I felt that one of the best things we could do to celebrate that day was, was to have a conversation with you. Can I add one more quick you thing? You sure so can. I think it's so crucial uh, because uh, I read a book by Carl Gallup's called The Rabbi Who Found Messiah. And I interviewed him on the TV and radio a television program, and I became entranced with it. I, I, I read the book, and, I, and the rabbi was still living, but then he, after that, soon after that, he passed. But when he did pass, he wrote the words uh, that had been revealed to him. He came out of his Rabbi Itzhak Kaduri, who was the most revered rabbi, he was 105, 106 years old. Sure. Very famous. He came, of, he came out of his study on the Day of Atonement and said to his follow, his rabbinical students, Messiah has appeared to me. He's told me his name. And I've written it down on this piece of paper and I'm sealing it. I don't want it open until a year after my passing. Uh, Ariel Sharon, who was still in his coma, uh, will pass and then I will pass soon after. And then a year after, you open the envelope and you'll know the name of the Messiah. Well, it had happened when I took my last tour to Israel. And I was there in the office with Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, who was a friend of mine and who has been a friend since his college days in, uh, in the United States at MIT. And, uh, and he always calls me Speedy every time we're together. Hello, Speedy. Come on in. Speedy Gonzalez, the song that he liked when he was in college. And I, so as we were meeting, just he and I in his office, he said, uh, I, I said, are you, you familiar with Rabbi Kaduri? He said, of course, he was my strongest follower, always was. I stood in the streets with 300,000 other Jews when they blew the shofar at his passing. Why? I said, are you familiar with the controversy since his passing? And he, he didn't seem to be. I said, well, he revealed the name of your Messiah. And he wrote it on a piece of paper, and it's on his website now, in his own handwriting, it, the name of your Messiah. And Netanyahu said, which is? I said, Yehoshua. Jehovah saves. Yehoshua. And I heard Netanyahu say, 
Jesus? I said, yes. And we didn't have a chance to talk about it anymore. He, he was out of time and I had to leave and I forgot to bring Carl Gallup's book, which has the picture in the rabbi's own handwriting, right to left of, of the name of the Messiah, which Jehovah saves, uh, Jehovah Yeshua. We get the word Yeshua, which is the Jewish word for salvation, which is in the Bible some 500 times. And every time you read the word salvation in what we call the Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, prophecies, New Testament, anytime you see the word salvation in Hebrew, it's Yeshua. And I've showed it to the rabbis who live up the street from me now, Rabbi Kunin, his, his son, and his uh, son-in-law, uh, Yossi uh, Kirschenbaum, and uh, majority Kirschenbaum, Yossi Kunin. And their rabbis, I showed them I said, the writing of their own rabbi, Yitzhak Kaduri. And what does this say? And he said, it says Yehoshua. And this part, that's Yeshua. I said, was, what does Yeshua mean? And they say, salvation. I said, do you realize that was Jesus' name? His name was always, in English, salvation. In Hebrew, Yeshua. And it's through the whole Old Testament, New Testament, every time the Psalms, the Proverbs, every time you read the word salvation, it reads in Hebrew, Yeshua, which is Jesus' name. For he came to save his people from their sin. And so I just thought that was important that, that you know and people know, because I've written a song by that by name. I've written it, recorded it, and you'll soon be hearing it, I hope. It's already produced um, as a video Yehoshua, Yehoshua, all you played, glory. You played it for me in your office, and it's absolutely yes. beautiful. And uh, yes. Pat, you are writing books, doing videos, sharing the gospel. Uh, we all want to be like you when we grow up, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still growing, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are, you are. Thank you so much for being on uh, Our Hope podcast and you are an incredible blessing to not just me and the chosen people staff, but to the whole Messianic movement. We know that you love us and embrace us yes. and pray for us. And we yes. love you. We love you very much. Well, I love you too. And everyone truly Jewish is a brother to me, a Luntzman, a kinsman. <laughs> a good old Luntzman. Well, thank yeah. you, Pat. Happy Yom Ha'atzmaut. <laughs> to you too. And blessings to you. Thank you. Where children can run free. So Michael B. Oren, the former Israeli ambassador to the United States, wrote in his essay, Ben-Gurion and the Return to Jewish Power, quote, The Jews of Palestine were dancing because they were about to realize what was one of the most remarkable and inspiring achievements in human history a people which had been exiled from its homeland 2,000 years before, which had endured countless pogroms, expulsions, and persecutions, but which had refused to relinquish its identity, which had, on the contrary, substantially strengthened that identity, a people which only a few years before had been the victim of mankind's largest single act of mass murder, killing a third of the world's Jews. That people was returning home as sovereign citizens in their own independent state. End quote. God loves Israel and his chosen people. All throughout scripture, we see God's covenant love and promises to Israel. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day? 
can a nation be brought forth all at once? As soon as Zion travailed, she also brought forth her sons. Isaiah 66, verse 8. On May 14, 1948, we saw the fulfillment of this promise. This historic event could not have happened by the hands of mere man. It was an act of God. As we celebrate Israel's Independence Day, we recognize the pain and suffering of many Arab people in the Middle East. Let us pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the salvation of all people living in this region. May the love of Messiah unite everyone, as the Apostle Paul wrote, as one new man, thus establishing peace. Ephesians 2.15 Until I die This land is mine Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope, featuring special guest Pat Boone and Dr. Mitch Glazer. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify. We would love to hear how this podcast has moved you. This episode was written and produced by Grace Swee and edited by John Bautista. This episode was also created thanks to Neil Saraski, Rachel Larson, and Nathan Scherer. I'm Nicole Vaca. Until next time.